Sexifiers and garden gnomes. Get canonical in the orchard behind the 7-Eleven. Dream the type of dream that makes you change your sheets. And I swear this isn't what it looks like. It's an allegory. It's an allegory, I say. Oh, it's time to talk tall to me. Welcome back, everyone. I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moans. And this, my sweet specimens, is Talk Told to Me. A night of erotic poetry in the love tent of Prague Rock, in which Naughty Nick and O-Town Omen will employ a series of increasingly uncomfortable, thinly-veiled botanical metaphors to describe every sweet and swollen song that heart-rate-increasing rock band Jethro Tull has ever cried into the sultry night. We will taste the fruits of the Goodyear Garden, marvel at the whiteness of the Florian flocks, and feel the O'Hara heat pricking our quivering flesh. And if we yearn fervently enough, we may one day have the desire of our souls filled by the steamy soloist, the vineyard virtuoso, the mountainous musician, the perfumed performer, Ian Magic Hands Anderson. Show me your embouchure. Show it to me. <laughs> you feel it before you see it. Oh, is that what that is? Just on the back of the neck right there? Nick, I am so excited for today's Talking Tull. If we have learned anything... And we haven't. We haven't, I assure you. If we've learned anything in 222 songs, wow, it's that you like the sexy songs. We have we have learned that and 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 I don't like them for the sex. I like them for the sexiness. You you like them for the company. The sexiness is just an added bonus. I like them because they fill the void that that throbs in the midnight of my soul. Very visceral. Very yeah. evocative that statement. But this is a, even within the category of sexy songs this is very special because this is a song which is not only sexy but references one of the most mysterious pieces of sexy poetry in literature the poetry of ian anderson the poetry of the song of solomon otherwise known as the song of songs otherwise known as the canticle of canticles <laughs> the ditty of ditties the bop of bop, the slappiest of slaps. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> We're talking about Shoshana sleeping. Shoshana sleeping. I think I made that joke the first time. I hope you'll keep doing it. I will. It's such a, it's such a Sean Connery statement. Yeah, it is. Well, the Song of Solomon, the Song of Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. That's great. Yeah. Anything alliteratively S works. Yes. Slitterative. <laughs> Shall we jump in and have a listen to Shoshana Sleeping Nick? Yeah, I don't have any preamble. I think we can dive into Shoshana. Oh, actually, I have something. Okay, tell me. Why don't you ask me what I'm drinking? Oh, omen. Oh, what are you drinking? Tea. Oh, okay. But now ask me, what am I drinking it out of? Omen, what are you drinking your tea out of? My brand new Tull Skull mug. It's so sexy. Which is now my favorite mug in the whole wide universe of my cupboard. It looks really good. It looks really good. All of the designs I made, not to, not to brag at all, but all of the designs I made look really good on the stark white. Oh! Here's the feckless. Wow. Yeah. Nick, so you've got, you've got our feckless logo, which has the newt. I've got the tall skull, uh, which is the skull and cross flutes. And th it's, they not like, even if you had no idea what they were, people would be like, yo, where's that badass mug from? Yeah. You know, all the people who see you drinking <laughs> out of your mug. Also, the, the OG JT 
looks really good. I, I've seen I've seen some tall skulls showing off their their mugs, and the OG JT design looks really good on on white too. If only those objects were accessible to anyone else who listened to this podcast. Oh man, I have a secret. What? What's that? I won't tell you that one. But there's another one that they can access the T Public link to this very page to purchase wow. all of the mugs. Wow, multiple of each, if you want. Gotta sip them all. Gotta sip them all. And I just, I just want to say, I'm drinking homemade kombucha. That's great. That's what I'm drinking. Good for you. <laughs> now, I think we can get into it, right? Let's have a listen to Shoshana sleeping. Shoshana. Nick, there we have Shoshana sleeping. It's hard not to fall into it now, isn't it? It is, yes. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, what a what a song. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A song. It is only three and a half minutes. Feels like it's a lot longer. It does. Yeah. This was our first single that dropped, just so we remember. Yes. And I remember when it came out, listening to it, it was like, within fewer than 10 seconds, I, I was like, ooh. What is this? This is confirmation that this is a real, this is going to be good. This ride yeah. is going to be fantastic. Yeah. And a lot like, I think we were talking about it in Mine is the Mountain with that falsetto, first hearing that falsetto. I get the same feeling with that raspy whisper underneath in the verses. Like, it's so... Ooh. Yeah. Sleep the time's not yet. Early person crowing. It's interesting. So, I mean, Ian, we recognize this technique fairly often that he'll double up his own voice and one will be that that kind of spoken under underlaying one. Yeah. But this with this one it feels a little different. And the impression that I have is is that that feeling when you're you're so uncomfortably aroused. That like, that like, you, you know, you're so hot for someone or something that you're, you're like shaking and your mouth goes dry mm -hmm. and you're like, I got, I got it. Do you want to go out for coffee? For instance. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's like the next level of passion, you know, it's gone to seed. It's beyond what it ought to be. Yeah. Yeah. Your adrenaline is kicked in your, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Very nice. Very effective. Remind me, who's the drummer? Is it John O'Hara? No, oh, it's it's Hammond. It's Scott Hammond. It's Scott Hammond. Yep. Amazing work throughout on this. Mm -hmm. His drum intro, every time I hear it, I love it. It always reminds me of the drum intro to Bob Dylan's Everybody Must Get Stoned. you listen to them back to back it's like it's got that same kind of feeling just for the just for a moment and yeah. then of course it is not that song before he starts singing bob dylan listen to just the drums listen just to the drum intro yeah gotcha okay first couple of measures the flute in this i mean all of all of the instruments in this are really solid again all very solid but let's talk about the flute let's talk about the flute that catchy in between that, and the guitar comes underneath and does that as well. It's a theme, right? It's It continues and runs through the entirety of the song. It, it is, and what I find fascinating about this is that often when Ian plays the flute, he'll have a central theme that he plays, and then he'll elaborate on it, and then he'll elaborate on it again. It's almost like... Baroque music, you know, where you mm. have the theme and then you complicate it and then you complicate the complication and then you complicate yeah. the complication until what you're what you end up with is almost unrecognizable from the from from the first theme. Ian does yeah. that sometimes. Yeah. This he states the theme and that's pretty much what he plays throughout. Yeah. In terms of the the tune of this song, we don't have a lot of stuff that's not that central theme. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's verse theme. Verse theme chorus theme verse theme short little breakdown but not oh, a breakdown's lot breakdown's great added in terms of complexification yeah 
which is it's nice. It's nice. It allows you to really listen to the rest of the instruments in this. I find it's it's a little less it pulls less, even though it's bright and it's right in front and you can hear it obviously every single time. It does allow t- it allow you to kind of lose focus on it, I think, and really pull in the different instruments. No, and it feels like it kind of fits with that theme of the one-track mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. All you can think about is the object of your desire. It's mm-hmm. almost a it's almost a meditation on on the object of desire. Yeah. All you can do is play this one tune because it's so ingrained, you don't have to think about it and you you can't switch to anything else. Yeah, yeah, every fiber of your being is oriented toward getting it. Touching, yeah. The guitar and synth under Sweetfield Lily, that little that kind of chorusy bit yeah. is so nice and then the, and then about halfway through the drums start to come in as well it's and it, it crescendos yeah the the guitar is like plinky the synth is plinky it's so good sweet feels lily sweet shoshana names to conjure fragrant danger fingers tremble trace the line from nape to sacrum down the spine I was trying to identify what that plinky sound is coming from. I, I'm I, at one point I thought, okay, it's the guitar on a harmonic, or then I was thinking it's it's the synth, but it's it's a little hard to identify. But it's wonderful. I think it, it, I don't think it's harmonics. I think he's just I think he's got a a pedal on. I think he's got a little fuzz mm. on there, and he's just he's just plucking single single notes. It's great. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's the sonic equivalent of the hairs on the back of your neck standing up <laughs> the front of your neck the way front da- the 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 down front the down in front the down in front <laughs> that breakdown at about like 145 just before we hit the two mark where ian goes to church with the flute That's the best part of the flute. We've got that repeating theme, but this is when he gets he gets really dirty. And I think there are two flutes at that point. I think. Oh, interesting. I could be wrong. But I know he takes I know he starts it with a little bit of a funk. It's a little build on that theme. And then he gets really dirty with it. And then he pulls back and then we go back into the the Sweetfield Lily line again. Our bassist is John O'Hara. Uh, no, John O'Hara's keys. David Goodyear, of course. How could we? How could we forget? How could he are we? <laughs> David Goodyear's bass playing, now that I'm actually listening to it on good headphones, I'm finding a lot more depth in his mm-hmm. work. And I'm also noticing that uh, Mr. Florian is playing, at least on this song, the guitar in a, in a much lower register. <laughs> I'm wondering if maybe some of my initial, my initial tepidness about trepidation, tepidation about Florian's playing, is just adjusting to the fact that Martin tends to play really high up with his solos and with his comments. I'm I'm realizing that Florian plays a little further down in the scale, and maybe some of it gets obscured with the bass and and mixes in not a bad way, just in a different way. It is the German way how we play guitar. It's low. It is either E flat or it is E, nothing in between. We don't understand this concept of quarter tones. <laughs> Just one string. It's a single string guitar. Shall I tell you a quick anecdote about the single string guitar? I would love nothing more. Well, too bad. By <laughs> My dad was uh, traveling in the Basque region of Spain mm-hmm. one time, as, as one does. Is this pre-birth of Omen? Is pre-birth. this P.O.? Okay. It's P.O. box. Yeah. And my dad has a long history of playing the guitar. A sordid guitar history. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And he was at this kind of tavern and chatting with the owners of the tavern, and they were they were getting on. My dad f- spoke f- fairly good Spanish for a while, and I guess they were speaking in Spanish rather than Basque. And he saw a guitar hanging on the wall, and the guy noticed him seeing it and saying, oh, do you want to play it? And my dad looked at it, and it, it only had one string on it. And my dad said, well... 
I would absolutely take it down and play, but it only has one string. And the guy said, Un bon tocador. Puedo tocar con solo una corda. A good player could play even with one string. <laughs> Sassy. Yeah. That's a line that Ray's grandfather would have said at some point. Yeah. 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 Excuses, excuses. Yeah, right, right. You kids don't appreciate anything. That's a good story. Thank you. That's a good one. It may be factual. If it comes from Donald Sade, I don't care. <laughs> How about that spoken word verse? Oh my God, I love it so much. Sweet sadness fills my heart. Offered chances best not taken. Unsullied, no vain glory. Chapter, verse, another story. Not something that we have terribly commonly in the Tull catalog, but it's not completely unique either. When's the last time we heard it? It reminds me of one of my favorite songs, Hot Mango Flush. <laughs> oh, that's why, because we haven't, we haven't been there yet. I forgot he does that. Ladies with ice cream hair. Gyroscopic pink neon beams. But it, there's something appropriate about it. It almost feels like, you know, you have the internal thought, and then you have the internal, internal thought. Yeah. It was like, I'm not even going to say this in my out loud internal voice. Yeah. I won't sing it. I'll just think it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All of it ought to be internal voice, I think, reading these naughty veiled lyrics and barely veiled. Well, I'm excited to talk about the actual text itself of the song and also the text of the song, The Canticle of Canticles. Yeah. There's one thing I wanted to mention, which is that the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, is, of course, from the Hebrew Bible, the Torah. Which is just the Old, uh, yeah, just the Old Testament, isn't it? I think there may be some bits that are, that are a little bit different, but the okay. Song of Solomon is in both the, the current Christian Bible and in the, um, the Hebrew Torah. Okay. I think it was originally in Aramaic. It's one of the really old ones. Mm. And there's been a lot of debate about it. If for a certain period of time, Jewish scholars said, no, we really shouldn't include this. And then a lot of people were saying, no, this is absolutely this incredible Kabbalic veiled metaphor for the relationship between God and, and, and man. Mm. Uh, Christians see this often as a a metaphor for the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church, or his bride, the believer. Sure. But it's also been adapted a number of times. And it does come from a, from a performance tradition. There are references to rabbis saying at some point, you know, oh, this isn't a song that, you know, we, we judge, we say no to the people who go around in the tavern singing the Song of Solomon. Hmm. Meaning it was sung. Yeah. It was a performance piece. Interesting. Um, and of all the adaptations, they tend to, most people who approach the song approach it in, in a very sensual, soft, poetic way. Mm -hmm. Ian has interpreted it in this very direct, 4-4, four, four, you know, flutes a-screaming, four-on-the-floor yeah. kind of like, ah, rock song. And it's, it's just fascinating. You know, this isn't an acoustic moment. Right. Yeah, he, he embodies the passion that can very well be behind those sensual moments, of course. It could, they can be driven yes. by passion. It's his interpretation of it. And that, I think it's great. I love it. I think it's a great twist on it, yeah. Yeah. So that's all I wanted to mention about the musical rendition. Okay, yeah. It is in 4-4. Four, 4-4, four. Four, four. that's it. That's, that whole story was just to get to, it's in 4-4. Four, four. Yep, okay. that's it. A quick 4-4 four, four, though, right? Yeah. Could it be eight? Eight eight? It could be eight eight. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very fast, yeah. Okay. Cool. That's it. Let's go to halfway there, right? Yeah. Nick, here we are in the break tent. Here we are in the in-between. We're not going to dip into anything zealot gene right now, but I have the tiniest of little anecdotes, and then we have an addendum, a pretty substantial addendum. So the anecdote, just a scant two hours ago, I was sitting here in the studio editing zealot gene, the episode. Mm -hmm. Rook's behind me playing on the floor, playing with cards and dice and whatever. 
Gambling. Gambling with the cats, yeah. I start the track of the zealot gene, the music, to, to grab a snippet. And the first like 10 seconds of it plays, and he's like, zealot gene. Is that zealot gene? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I know. I was, I, I was just floored, flabbergasted even. Very impressed. Kids listen. Kids listen. Yeah. That's the thing. They soak up everything. Yeah. Even when you think they're not listening, they're listening. And he does, he does like Tull. And he's showing an appreciation for more of it just than like the couple of albums I started him with. So it's genetic. Yeah. Yeah. Despite Ray's genes trying to overpower that. Despite the best efforts of the <laughs> medical community. Rook has inherited so much from Raven. But this one is a, um, this, what's it called? A dominant gene or a. Sure. A re- recessive and dominant. Is that it? So it's a yeah. dominant gene. Yeah. 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 That's it. If, if there's anything that he gets for me, I hope it's that. It worked. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> okay. No, and it's just great to see, you know, it's great to know that there will be future generations of tall lovers. There sure will. There sure will. Yeah, there sure will. Next. Let's get addendumized. <laughs> it's about to get addendumized. <laughs> Addendum? Hardly know him. You brought him. You addendum. (laughs) Okay. So, this past episode, chronologically, the date that we are recording this, the last episode to drop was John Barleycorn slash Reynard the Fox. Really enjoyed listening to it, by the way. I listened to half of it the other day and half of it on my run today, and I really enjoyed it. Really good stuff. It was a good one. Good stuff, us. Those feckless moms, they know what they're doing. (laughs) Sometimes. So, we had a good response. We've got... In the Discord, JK. JK. JK writes in and says, Not sure if any of you are aware of some trivia regarding the live recording, which occurred on tour in Greece. Ian was joined on stage by George Dalaras, and I think he is credited on the album. There's also a photo of him performing with Ian in a booklet that came with the 25th anniversary box set. Dalaras is a doyen of Greek traditional and folk music, and he has released some great stuff. And just for the record, doyen, I looked it up because I've never heard that word before. The word doyen is the most respected or prominent person in a particular field. Oh, the head. Yeah. The paragon. I'm not sure how they came about to perform together, but the song As Performed has Dalaras on vocals, and I think it sounds awful. It's a bit rough. It is. I'll, oh, by the way, I'll put a link to that in our show notes. It's, it's actually yeah, really yeah. interesting to hear. It is. He sounds great in Greek or Spanish, but not in English. Ian re-recorded the vocals for the album. I seem to recall reading that it was for the UK-US release, so perhaps there are some album versions in Greece with the original recording. Wow. Yeah. And if you listen carefully, you can hear Dalaras playing the bazooki. Mm-hmm which is a, a relative, not, it is a... A cousin? No, because they're, they're not related in terms of their descendancy exactly, but they are related in terms of their morphology. Hmm. It's very closely related to the mandola or the mandolin. It's, it's a double-stringed instrument that sounds a lot like a big mandolin. Hmm. But it actually comes from a different tradition. Gotcha. Okay. To wrap up with that, Micah Noel on YouTube chimes in and says, the recording of this has always confused me. I believe they took two recordings from two separate nights and blended them together to get this track. On one of the nights, they had a guest vocalist to sing this song and then Ian sang it himself later, maybe? It seems to have been doctored in the studio quite a bit. I can even hear a second electric guitar very faintly at times in a way that Martin would not have been able to perform live, which actually might be the bazooki. Or it could be, if they did take the two t- tracks and lay them on top of each other, they may have had some bleed yeah. into one of the mics, into one of the vocal mics. Yeah. This makes me think that either the vocal mic or drum mics were picking up the guitar and therefore remained when the second recording was made. Wow. If you look on YouTube for the guest vocalist version, you can hear that it's the same music from Ian's version. This makes me think Ian may have just done his vocal in the studio to replace the guest vocalist track. Fascinating. As confirmed by JK, yeah. The bootlegs from this tour are quite illuminating as well. The raw recordings with mistakes and bad notes unedited is a treat to listen to. 
and Ian was full of all sorts of jokes back then. Some of the jokes and banter took up several minutes before the start of the songs. It does still have an ideal live sound for the band to have achieved in the early 90s. I also realized later that it's a selection of songs from the tour and not representative of what an actual set list looked like. Mm. They played all sorts of heavier songs next to these ones during the shows, so the light selection is just curated to be so. Huh. Yeah. I'm going to dig in to see if I can find a full concert of that. Just a note about Dalaris's vocal performance. He's a really great singer. Yeah. But it does sound, to English-speaking ears, a little bit strange to have his accent on that song. There were three men came out of the And again, it's not bad. I think in some ways he's probably a better technical vocalist than Ian. He he has the ability to do some of those really interesting runs and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But but it is disorienting. And I can see Ian being like, you know, that's just not going to play with, with our audiences. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I do like it for for a bit of a change. And when he first starts singing, you're you're clearly like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. But there are some parts, some versions that he takes the lines in a different way that work really well, particularly with his voice. And actually that that re-recording, that deleting the voice of Dalaris off of the album, was what caused Poseidon, the god of the sea, to curse the band. And that's why they had so much trouble getting back to uh, to home. Ten years, I think. It took them ten I think years? it was about ten years, yeah. And Ian shot a flute through, <laughs> through axes because only Ian could do that. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And his sweet Penelope Shoshana was there waiting for him. Shoshana was like, you know, anyone who can blow this flute, <laughs> no one could do it. No one could blow hard enough. Yeah. And she was busy weaving tapestries of all the Jethro Tull covers. That would be a tapestry. I am a slut for tapestries, Nick. Yes, you are. I do know that about you. I mean, if there's one thing you know about me... <laughs> I am an absolute horror for a tapestry, and I would, I would love a tapestry. A Jethro Tull tapestry? Oh, mm. my God. Which cover? All of them. If you hadn't picked one. Shut up. Pick one. <laughs> Catfish Rising. Ooh, nice. I would say stand-up. I like that woodcut feel. Ah. I think it would translate really well. Yeah. Thank you, Micah Noel and Jai Kai, for that information. Thanks to you both. And let's go back to... Shoshana sleeping. Let's do that. Okay, Nick. Here we are. Context for Shoshana sleeping. Let's let's talk about the Song of Solomon. Yes. Let's build our base. Let's build our foundation and then go from there. Yeah. Okay. Song of Solomon, it is... It's a whole book, right? It's like saying the book of Matthew, essentially. It is a book in the Bible, and it references Solomon, but it is not really about Solomon. It is sort of, the setting is the time of Solomon. Solomon was, I feel like I'm getting this right, he was a a king known for his wisdom. It was when the nation of Israel was on the ascendancy. They had been so successful that there were certain, he, he felt that there were moral there was moral corruption starting. Mm. So that the famous story with him is the two women said, claimed the same baby. Yeah. And so he said, all right, well, we'll cut the baby in half and give one half to each of you. And one of the women was like, yeah, do it. The other woman was like, no, let her have it. And he was like, oh, that's the mother. Duh. But <laughs> I mean, yes, I get it. But why would the not mother just be okay with half of a baby? Because <laughs> it wasn't her baby. And so she didn't. But what was she going to do with it? Eat it? Like, that's the only logical... It's a story. (laughs) I know. And and it's all about his cleverness. Yeah, but anyway, he doesn't really factor into the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is from the performance tradition, and it it takes the form of lovers expressing their desire and love for each other. And there's a 
a chorus, which is the traditional form of the chorus, being a, a group of people who echo and respond. Mm. And a lot of people have said, oh, yes, it's an allegory. It is uh, deeply coded with spiritual stuff. And all of that might be true. But I think it is also literally a sexy song about how hot lovers are for each other. Mm -hmm. It starts with, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Pretty sexy. What, what other orifice would he use to kiss you? My question. <laughs> and I mean, if you sang that with a steel guitar behind it, that would be a perfect line, opening line to a country song. Yeah. You could have a, a lady in a slinky dress up on stage with a little jazz band behind her. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I'm sold. So it goes on. She describes how beautiful she is. She says, I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. There are all these metaphors comparing. There are a lot of agricultural metaphors, which has to do with fecundity and fertility. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of searching. The bride describes searching for her lover in a dream mm. and not being able to find him and then, and then finding him in the dream and then waking up and realizing that she hasn't found him. So there's it's layers and layers and layers. That's... What was that? We just did that song. That was in... The Waking Edge. Yeah, that's The Waking Edge. Very good. The edge of a half-dream glowing Well, you know, I felt her in my dream last night From the, the note that I have with the Song of Solomon is it's a series of lyrical poems, and it's basically like a lengthy dialogue between a young woman and her lover, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, the chorus occasionally addresses the lovers. And the first poem is the one that you were referencing, saying she longs to be near him, enjoy his kisses, cook him a steak, get a back rub, etc. Yeah, and then there's song, the Song of Solomon 2, the Solomoning. <laughs> the squeakquel. <laughs> ah, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. She's described as an apple tree among the trees of the forest. Hmm. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. All attractive, healthy, fit things, things that bear fruit with the, the apple tree, things that, that stand out, things that will attract any number of things. The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Fig is very often compared, used as euphemism for either genitalia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's, I mean, it's extremely descriptive. It falls into the pattern of a number of Greek and Middle Eastern poets, you know, describing the setting of love in terms of a garden. He describes her as a, a walled garden, implying that she is chaste implying that she is a, a virgin mm -hmm. and then she says come taste the fruits of my garden that's the uh, that's the the big green flag baby suckle it's very consent it's very consenting gates are open yeah 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 it's nice my papaya wants a little squeeze of lime come bring your bees to fertilize this flower my mango is going to go off in about three days so get it while it's good <laughs> anyway yeah. and for any number of reasons that this song this book has been like you said debated yeah debated taken out of the bible taken out of the torah taken out of different religious texts taken out put back in taken out put back in taken out put back put really far in i'm really tired now i'm really <laughs> made a sandwich the the idea of how sexy it is, is anathema. The, the euphemism is anathema. And the, some of the, the straight up statements, you know, they are not to be, not to be shared religiously, you know. Under current policies, this book of the Bible could be banned in Florida schools. Oh, baby. Then you know it's good if that's the case. Oh, yeah, exactly. But the... Is it they don't know who wrote it? Wasn't there like 
didn't people think that it was like Mary Magdalene who wrote it or something like that? And that's prop that feels very Dan Brown to me. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It it does seem to me. It seems like it is a series of poems from the oral tradition. The oral tradition that you know, like a lot of poems that got that got codified at some point. Yeah. Which seems kind of on the rare side for the Bible, right? I mean, are all of those, those each, is each of those books some form of lyrical poem that was passed up until it was, was written? I think that maybe, I, I mean, I think that in the Old Testament, that's probably more the case, that these are sure. tales that were developed and taken with these, these traveling, these nomadic tribes. The flood myth, the, the first human myth. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And so it's just at some point somebody pens a version of it that then becomes the canonical version. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, they, that's, yeah, and that's even, you know, that's, those are more attributable to a, an eyewitness account. But even then, they weren't penned until years after yeah. those people had passed away. Right. So it's still an oral tradition of an eyewitness account. Right, yeah. Oh, and Ringo. I forgot Ringo. Everybody forgets Ringo. <laughs> so, Ian's song, Shoshana Sleeping, yes. appears to be in the tradition of, in the filing cabinet of, Shona songs. Yeah. Missing My Hot Wife songs. Yeah. And... Yeah, I, th I think Shona is short for Shoshana, isn't it? I believe. I think... I think we, we looked that up at one point. I think Feckless Mom or Vinyl Junkie on Discord dropped that little bit of knowledge. I believe so. Oh, King Solomon does feature a little bit. This is in the, in the dream sequence. King Solomon arrives to, to bless the wedding, it looks like. Hmm. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing all of which bear twins. Ooh. Again, fecundity and fertility, something very attractive and healthy in a human. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stones. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Holy shit. I can't believe, I mean, it's, it's, it is kind of hard to believe that it's in the, it's in the Bible. Yeah, whether or not the word Shoshana is is a an elongation or an original form of Shona, mm -hmm. it certainly is seems referential. Yes, certainly feels like it. Yeah, this this does not feel. This feels too personal to be like that one remove of a generically sexy song with a generic oh, person. Yes, I think this is very specifically sexy. Yeah, and the theme that so. First verse, we have sleep, the time's not yet, early birds soon crowing, wake when dawn declares, woman risen from childish airs, I watch across the room, dancing shadow, torch outside, lights, path down, cobbled lane, which I have walked, will walk again. Sleep, the time's not yet, early birds soon crowing, wake when dawn declares, woman risen from childish airs. A theme that we've not unheard before. It reminds me of the one that describes leaving and the the gate, uh, the the, perg the Home. pergola. Home. Yeah. When the dawn sun breaks. As the dawn sun breaks over sleepy gardens. There's this theme of coming back early in the morning, seeing his sleeping wife thinking, oh my God, how beautiful she, is she? This theme of sleep is a big part of the Song of Tholomon. The, the Thong the of Tholomon. The Thong of Tholomon. Mm, now we're getting there. It's a big theme in the religious text. You know, the relationship between sleep and desire and, and your, how one's desires play out in sleep and how you can be with your lover in sleep even if you aren't in, in waking life. Then we have Sweet Field Lily. Sweet Shoshana. That is almost, that's a direct reference to I am the lily of the valley. Mm -hmm. This rare thing that, that is fragrant and beautiful and pure and 
you know, in all the valley, there's this one beautiful flower. The lily of the valley is also used in Animal Crossing. When you reach a five-star island, it will only sprout then. So it is a signal of... Fertility. Of piety. Fecundity. Virtue. Yeah. Preciousness. That's what this song is about, actually. That's what Animal Crossing is about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, I guess we could call that the chorus, right? That chorus is really one of the, the most blatantly sexy parts. Fingers tremble, trace the line from <sighs> nape to sacrum down the spine. I Sacrum's tailbone, that. right? Yes, it is. Yeah. I love that line. I love it. Sweet fields lily, sweet Shoshana, names to conjure, fragrant danger. Fingers tremble, trace the line from nape to sacrum down the spine. And like you could, you could try to say like, oh, he's t he's talking about the lily. He's talking about the very like sensitive, sensual parts of the lily. You have to be very careful. They don't have sacrums. I I know, I know. But it's it just like allegory is a flower for the no no place. The sacrum is a an allegory for a part of the flower. Maybe it's one of those like plausible deniabilities that nobody's believing. I think you'd have to really warm up before that stretch. It's poetic license. <laughs> Get off my back. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure someday there will be a, a mystical cabal based on the works of Jethro Tull. They're like, the sacrum is the third chakra. It's, it's all very, there's nothing sexy about it. My poetic license has not come in the mail yet, so I'm, I'm struggling right now. It's, I have a poetic learner's permit right now. That's interesting. <laughs> Going forward, ooh, moist under my hand, she sleeps, breath comes quickly, a sigh parts silky lips, soft swell breasts, proud golden tips. Moist under my hand, she sleeps, breath comes quickly, a sigh parts silky lips, soft swell breasts, proud golden tips. We've only had like one or two other references or not even blatant statements of of breasts before right yeah i feel like it was probably the tail end of the folk era i believe and silky lips is almost a direct paraphrasing or a direct reference to the song of solomon your lips are like a scarlet thread mm. they called me silky lips in high school Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, your lips drink nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my bride. A fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. So plant and food wise here we're talking milk and honey mm -hmm. we're talking pomegranates all of which are it's basically nectar and ambrosia it's like you are in the promised land you are safe you are happy you are you are where you belong and this is where i think this ian's song gets so powerful is that you can say yeah song of solomon is about sex this song is about sex but really i do think that at the deeper level it is about the joys, including the sensual, physical joys of pure love. When two people are really faithful to each other, that that joy is becomes rarefied, that you then have the mix of the physical carnal joy and desire with the spiritual side of things. Yeah. The Song of Solomon isn't about, you know, meeting some stud in the after party and going home and, and getting your oats. It's about like, the sexy time with your spiritual mate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what is so powerful about this, about Ian's song is that it's not just my wife is so hot. It's my wife is so hot and I cannot believe that the universe and God has blessed me right. with such an appropriate spiritual companion that I still, after 50 years of marriage or 40 years of marriage, tremble yeah. to, to think of her. Wow. Yeah. That's how I want to be. It is lovely and romantic and sweet and references to flowers and naughty bits and things do not have to be like, like you just said, you know, they don't have to be like straight out of a porno mag, you know, they can, they can be with respect 
and poetic. And I think that in our culture, especially in America, we tend to think very binarily about things. And so we have the Madonna horror complex. Mm. We have the either this is a person for sex or this is a person for marriage. Right. And what the Song of Solomon is so beautiful at doing is, and actually one of the things that Judaism does in an incredibly beautiful way is bring a sensuality to spirituality. Yeah. To say you can have spiritual love that is also sensual and sexual. It acknowledges human nature, you know, it doesn't make it taboo. Yeah. Which is why they don't want it in the Bible. Well, and we have to remember that in America, a a lot of our culture, especially when it comes to Christianity and and spirituality and sex, was incredibly strongly influenced by the Holy Bibli. The Puritans. (laughs) Yes. The Puritans who got kicked out of England for being no fun at all. Too straight, yeah. Being big, big bummers. Big boring. They brought celery to the party. (laughs) Who, Who invited the Puritans? They brought celery and tap water. Never go to a Puritan party. Mm-mm. Saltines. If you're lucky. You if don't. you're lucky, you get saltines. There's no yeah. dancing. You just stand there and listen to the wind. If you hold a saltine under your tongue long enough, it gets a little bit sweet. It does, yeah. They figured that out. Yeah. The starches turn to sugars. Yeah. Tap water. What your saliva does. And you can lick the grass. <laughs> yes. So... After our, let's see, second recitation of Sweet Field Lily, that's when we get into the spoken, the sweet sadness. Sweet sadness fills my heart. Offered chances best not taken. Where, where, does, that, where does that verse take you? Sweet sadness fills my heart. Offered chances best not taken. Unsullied, no vain glory. Mm-hmm. Chapter, mm-hmm. verse, another story. Sweet sadness fills my heart. Offered chances best not taken. Unsullied, no vain glory. Chapter, verse, another story. I feel like this is a reference to a theme that we see a lot in Ian's writing, which is the the difficulty, the pain, the sadness at having to leave his mm-hmm. bride yeah. to go and, and uh, ply his trade in the wide world. Yeah, the next verse really seals that deal, too. And as a rock star... You know, he has the opportunity, anyone who travels the world as a rock star has the opportunity to get in the pants of their fans. Yeah. They take advantage of the women who... And the men. And men. And the non-binaries. The people with pulses who are attracted and sexually explorative with rock stars. And, you know, for a lot of people, they project their sexual fantasies, their sensual fantasies, their fantasies of love onto musicians, onto public Mm -hmm. figures, onto rock stars. And so, you know, the old, the joke, I don't think it's really a joke. The reality, especially in the seventies and eighties was you get off stage and your, your special tour manager would be like, right, well, here's the, here's all the sexy young things who came backstage for you. Yeah, they're wait they're waiting in the green room. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in the context of that, Ian is saying unsullied no vainglory. Vainglory is the overestimation of one's value of one's of overestimating one's accomplishments in mm-hmm. this context, saying, Yes, I am a I am a famous rock star and I do deserve to have a little tickle now and then. He's saying, No. Right. This love is so precious to me that it remains unsullied. Yeah. And the backside of that is the sadness that fills his heart when he has to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brushed eyelids gently closed, beauty framed in dawn light, savored moment blessed, a kiss farewell and leave to rest. Brushed eyelids gently closed, beauty framed in dawn light, savored moment blessed, a kiss farewell and leave to rest. It's very much home. It's very much Waking Edge. It's got that sweet, sweet feel, even though it's not as, it's not slow, you know? Like, it's a heavier, quicker, faster song. It's home and and, uh, Waking Edge are slow and sweet. But this, he's still getting that point across. It's it's like a little more veiled just by the sound, the the sonic journey that it takes you on. But it's it's there. It's really there. It is a little note of, of Odysseus there. Hmm. Without all of the having sex with witches. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Damn. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is in, this stuff is spicy. This stuff is in every hotel bedside table drawer. Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> Fifty Shades of Solomon. That's it. There we go. I like that. The Shades of Solomon. It works. It works. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Ugh. Wine and milk doesn't sound terribly good. Mm. Yeah. My head is wet with dew. Are you just going to keep going? I can't stop. What are we talking about next week? Next week is the second of the singles that dropped, I believe. It is Sad, Shad, Shitty, Shishtush. <laughs> works equally as well. Just as well. Sad City Sisters. Ezekiel 23, verses 2 through 11, for those of you who want to preview El Biblio. I think that was, was that the puppet one? That was the puppet one, the music video. That was puppets, I think. Sounds right. Yeah, that was good. Until next week, I am poisoned. Prize a trophy, Omen Thomas said. I am moist under your hand, Nick McGill. We are freely taken, hardly won, the feckless moms. And look at our proud golden tips. This is Talk Tell to me. <laughs> Hey there, sailor. Why don't you come over and gargle my guava? Oh. Hmm. You, you're certainly a tall glass of water. Tell me, how tall are you? Six foot seven inches. Well, hmm, never mind the six foot. Let's talk about the six inches. Oh. You look like a man who could really knows how to cook a kumquat. <laughs> pick up my meaning. I'd like to see where you hide your juniper berries. Oh, well, two in the hand is worth one in the bush. Mm. Tell me, mister, did you ever uh, masticate a mango? You show me your fig, I'll show you my huckleberries. Oh. I like my men like I like my black mulberries. Black. You look like a delicious jujube. Why don't you squeeze me and get my juice all over you? I'm plump like a plum and thorny like a pineapple. Mm. Your tangerine reminds me that Talk Told to Me is a proud member of the Factless Moms Audio Network. Now shut up and kiss me. Oh, slap me with a soursop. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>